You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. I know other people have wished you Happy Mother's Day, but I haven't. So, Happy Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day carries um, a mixture of emotions um, for folks. Um, this is actually uh, the 20th anniversary of, of my mother's passing. Uh, she didn't pass on Mother's Day, but it's been 20 years. Um, I actually, and then in reflecting on that this morning, um, I've actually lived a month longer than she did. And so I know that when you start thinking about Mother's Day, it can carry a lot of different emotions with it. And, um, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. I believe God has something very specific for all of us today. Um, in light of, I don't do this very often, but in light of uh, Roe Wade and what's going on there, I, I wanted to open with some, uh, a, a few things to help us with some understanding. And I know that um, you're people more versed in these areas here than me, but I felt it was important for me to talk about them. So the first understanding I want to bring up is a constitutional understanding. Because, um, you know, that was, that was my minor. Constitutional l- law. You're, you're more gullible than the first service. The 1973 Roadway decision determined that abortion was a civil liberty protected by the United States Constitution. Many legal scholars felt the decision was built on shaky legal grounds, and some today as well. If it is indeed overturned, it means abortion is no longer a personal liberty guaranteed by our Constitution. Okay? So that's what that means. Here's a civic civic understanding. The United States is not a direct democracy. We are a representative democracy, also called a constitutional republic. So a direct democracy is a majority rules form of government. We have a democratic process that elects representatives by majority vote into two of the three branches of government. Legislative branch, executive branch, and a judicial branch. The judicial branch is not elected so as to insulate it from public opinion and how far it goes left to right in any given um, culture. And on the state level, our government mirrors the national level. We have a state legislature, state government, state supreme court. All right, so a Roe-Wade reversal will allow individual states go through their own legislative process in regard to abortion regulation or elimination. Um, Putting it much more at hand to an elective process. Um, This is what makes the leak of Judge Alito's decision so alarming It's because it was a pressure move and it was a political move. Um, The timing is what points to it being a political move. It may be the only issue that will get people to overlook um, the other issues that our country is fighting through right now. All right, the third understanding is a biological understanding because my other major was... Right, all right. So you're going to hear a lot of noise on how the decision will harm women and their reproductive health. 
Reproductive health is such an odd term to use in conjunction with abortion, since abortion is the exact opposite of reproduction or health. It is a deceptive term, which should shine a bright light that there is a deceptive element to the abortion debate. The only way abortion can be characterized as a personal liberty is to deny that a baby is an independent life. Science and ultrasounds continue to erode that claim. Overwhelming medical evidence have, has the heartbeat of a child as early as six weeks, maybe a little earlier, and the ability to hear outside of the mother's womb at 14 weeks. Could there be a medical reason for an abortion? I guess there could be. So don't, all of the, I'm not trying to gin a base here, right? So don't, but don't throw, any, don't throw anything at me with that. There could be. But that decision should be made under the weight of the loss of a child's life. Now let's get to a follower of Jesus' understanding. Don't get baited into a religious argument. More people oppose religion than oppose the results of a 3D ultrasound. Faith and science are not mutually exclusive. You, we can use them both in this discussion. False narratives cannot thrive in truth circles. Second, don't accept the promise, the premise of the argument that pro-life is anti-women. God is pro-all of his creation. Women, men, and children. Holding none above the other. This is not a battle of personal freedoms. In my words, it's a battle of personal responsibility. And the last, balance your passion for the issue with compassion for people. Passion is a good thing, but without compassion, it just runs over people. And that's what's happening all in all of these arguments. It's passionate people, it's fine, have passion, but run over unless it's weighed with compassion. There are no doubt in a room this size, watching online, that there, there, there are men and women that have been impacted by abortion in the room. To that, I want to say, God does not want you to live in that pain and shame of that moment. He is available and he knows and sees and understands and that's really a heart of, lot of the message today. It's not going to be on this political issue. In church, I just want you to understand that we, we, should, we should continue our efforts to come alongside families, men and women facing this hard challenge and for, to come alongside children that have been deemed unwanted I mean, when, when Pastor Bruno talked about this event that we're doing to uh, honor foster families and foster children, it, it kind of sounds like that we have a lot of foster families here, and we have some. But Pastor, uh, Javi, Pastor Javi has gone into, with Murray County and Williamson County, into um, the Department of Human Service, Child Health Services, and has said this is what we're doing for foster families. And there's over 70 right now that are coming that's going to participate in trying to love on them for some time. So let me encourage you, Especially if you're passionate about this issue, let's be passionate about coming alongside families and kids that are trying to do something in addition to just saying that we, we, we're, not for, we're not for abortion. So I know that's, that's unique. I don't usually speak into those things, um, but I wanted to speak into this today so that we just don't go off um, uh, without 
good enough understanding. And I know that might be cursory for a lot of you, uh, no doubt, um, but it helped me even working through it. So those four different types of understandings. But today's Mother's Day. Today's Mother's Day, and today our unforgettable encounter is going to include a mother and her son. All right, but, but, so, but as a way of recap, when I talked about Jesus being the most unforgettable person ever, and I farmed out three characteristics of unforgettable people, here's, here's what they were and are through this series. Number one is that he sees you, not past you. He sees you, not past you. He leaves a mark, not just an impression, and that he is a catalyst for transformation. He is a catalyst for transformation. Jesus changes everything and everyone he touches. And our text today is short. There's a lot packed into just six verses. Here they are. Luke records it, records this encounter in Luke 7, 11 through 17. So soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, look, look at someone and said, he sees you. See, when he, when he saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he raises three people from the dead, not including himself. He raises a son of a mother, which we read here. He raises the daughter of a father, and he raises Lazarus. Luke chapter 4, three chapters prior to this, Luke makes mention of Elijah. In a different context, but he makes mention of Elijah. Elijah raised a widow's son from the dead. And then Elisha, just in the next book in 2 Kings, raises, raises a, um, a son from the dead, albeit not from a widow. The significance of that is all of that happened in this same region. So what's about to take place, or what we read that's taken place, they, they had a context for this. No doubt it was, it was shared from generation to generation to generation of these major prophets of God that raised up dead kids. I mean, it's a story that lingers, right? And so they would have had this as their context for, this, um, for what's about to take place. So to get this picture in your mind, a large crowd is traveling with Jesus. We don't always get a large crowd traveling with Jesus. Many times it's just him and a few, or him and his disciples, but in this particular case, for whatever reason, right? So either they would have come from someplace, Jesus just does something amazing where they want to be around him, right? Or they have heard enough about him, for some reason they're here with him because they're expecting something to happen. All right, so, so I try to picture what, what would that mood have been like in that group traveling with Jesus? I don't think it would have been a quiet mood. I don't think it would have been um, a, a somber mood. I think, the, I think there's excitement in this group. I think there's kind of a little electricity in this group. Like, what, what is he going to do? What is he going to say? Right? There, w- there would have been anticipation in this group. 
They would, there would have been chatter between them uh, going along this route. There would have been, it, it would have been everything that you would have want, kind of wanted to be in in kind of an excitement kind of atmosphere like you know something's going to happen. But now coming in the opposite direction is a whole other different mood. Here is a funeral procession of a widow. We learned this, we learned this after the fact. There would have been nothing that would have told everybody all of what was going on other than we saw a mom weeping bitterly because her son has died. Now, these emotions would have been very real and very raw because in this context, in this century, they would have buried people really quickly. It's very possible that the son had died earlier that day. So that tells you how raw this would have been. So when, when, when she's crying, we, you know, it's, it's like right, right there. But then there's another context of this that we only learn about by the writer that no one knows there except the people in her group is that she's a widow, which means she has walked this road of deep loss before. And then now she's doing this with her son. Now, beyond that own grief of losing a husband and now a son, is she's carrying somewhere in the back of her mind, well, what's going to happen to me? Right? Anytime there's change, it's impossible, it seems, to forget this one basic instinct we all have. Anytime change happens, what does this mean to me? How is this going to impact me? And so, in that culture, without a husband, without a child, she couldn't own property, she wasn't going to be able to transact business. And so orphans and widows, it's why in the New Testament it says that, that the, the religion that is pure and blameless is the one that takes care of widows and orphans is because here was the most vulnerable, unprotected group of people. And so she, you, you, can, you can imagine, she can't bury her son without reliving the grief of burying her husband. And that she can't bury her son without this grief of, I'm, I'm alone. There's, there's nothing here for me. And that these, these two groups collide, in essence, at the city gate of Nain. Now, out of respect, I would imagine that the people, as soon as they had seen this one procession coming towards them, they started quieting down. And I would assume then they would have started moving to the side. Now, the funeral home in my little town was across the street from my dad's gas station. And Dick Tillman, the funeral director, also sold Chevys at the local Chevy dealership. Only our barber was the mayor. I mean, only in small towns, right? Only in small towns does this happen. But I, I, was, witness, I was witness to a lot of funerals going up working at Pop Station. And... And I knew it was funeral day. I was a low man on the totem pole at work um, at like 16, 15, 14, that I washed the funeral cars. Because Dick brought over the cars to be washed before the thing, and I washed them. And I guess I would have seen years of just the, you know, how the procession works and other cars behind them. But it wasn't until I moved in the south was I driving somewhere, and a funeral procession was coming in the other direction and cars started pulling off. Like, what, what are they doing? You know, get out of my way. You know, I mean, I'm going to wreck here. And, I, and it took me a while to realize that, and, I, and maybe it does it in the Northeast. I just didn't drive much in the Northeast. <laughs> I drove most in the Southeast. That here was this honoring 
Like, I don't know who this is. I don't know who passed. I don't know anything about the family. But in this moment, we're going to respect the fact that someone's coming by. I mean, th- this, would have been, this would have been what was happening in this moment. The layers of the emotional loss that she had had to be crippling. And that's the context in which we read, when Jesus saw her. He didn't just notice her. He knows stuff about her that no one knew at the time. Like there wouldn't have been particular, a particular way that she would have dressed that would have indicated that she was a widow. There wouldn't have been a sign on the plank. Literally, he would have been carried out on a plank. There wasn't there a sign on the plank saying, this is the only son of this widow woman. Nobody in the context of Jesus would have known this. But Jesus knows this. So here's my point about how Jesus sees us. He has, he, his comprehension is comprehensive. Jesus' comprehension is comprehensive. Which means every nuance about any brokenness, any sorrow, any loss in your life, he sees. Now, you'd say, well, it's pretty obvious to see she was in pain. But again, she's in pain, but nobody knows that she's a widow. No one there would know on, on Jesus' side, that this was the only child. No, he, he would have known this and felt this, so his comprehension with all of us is comprehensive. I love all the new camera angles we get watching sports these days, right? You even have base cams, right? So, I mean, before, uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd call a play, you officiate a play, and you got one angle, and you made, your, you, know, you made your decision based on that angle, and by that angle, everything looked like it was correct, but now we, we get the other side, right? And, then, and you see it spin. I mean, like, I was at the Masters this year, first time back in 16 years. It was, it was a pretty religious experience. And, and even at the Masters, on hole 16, which is this iconic, if you've ever watched the clip of Tiger Woods' ball hanging on the edge of the cup for like a, a year before it falls, that's hole 16 at Augusta. And I even saw they had cameras on cables at Augusta. These people don't do anything, right? I mean, it takes them years to do anything. And here's cable. Why? Because the angles matter in how we see things, right? So it's important to understand that his comprehension of you, God's comprehension of you, is that, it's, it's that distinct. That it's 360 degrees, every possible angle and every, per, every possible circumstance, he has that complete understanding of who you are, where you are, what you're walking through. Why is that important? Because one of the most difficult emotional places in which we find ourselves is when you feel as if no one can possibly comprehend the depth of your fear or your grief or your pain. It is one of the most difficult emotional places to find yourself circumstances are shared, right? That that there's probably not a life circumstance in this room that someone else hasn't experienced. And yes, you can put feelings in categories to which say that there's probably not a feeling someone has felt that isn't in the category someone else has felt in here, okay? But does it ever feel that way in the moments of pain, grief, loss, brokenness? 
It doesn't. Because those feelings are very personal to us. They carry the very distinctness we have. And so, so we, we, don't, we don't believe anybody could ever kind of, even when someone says, hey, I've gone through this similar and I've done this, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't penetrate because of what we're feeling in the moment. And here's the point. The enemy wants to magnify your experience to the point of isolating you. The enemy wants to magnify your pain to the point where you feel trapped and an emotional wall start being built up between you and other people, you and the Father. But no matter how raw or, real those feel, raw or real those feelings are, no matter how high those relational walls get, they do not have the ability to block the eyes and the comprehension of Jesus. There are no privacy fences in your life, no matter how high you have built them, that he can't see you through and over them. Followers of Christ don't have to buy into this lie well, no one understands. I guarantee you, if you had a record of how many times you said it, it would fill up more than one page. Right? No one understands. No one, I know it feels real and it feels personal to you. No one understands. But as a follower of Christ, that is not where we live because someone does understand. Because there is a comprehensive nature to his comprehension. Do you see how that's different than just knowledge, right? Knowledge is based on facts. Comprehension is based on an understanding. It's the ability to put all of this together, and that's what we have in Christ. I think a modern lingo would be, he gets us. You ever say that someone, I get you. Do you get me? I, I get you. That, that, is, that is this idea that I have this complete comprehension. So that's one of the things that makes Jesus unforgettable in this passage. Let's go on. Verse 13, so when the Lord saw her with this comprehensive comprehension, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. This is where his unforgettableness doesn't stop at comprehension, but it leads to a compassion that's guttural. It's a guttural compassion. Literally, the Greek phrase, his heart went out to her, would mean his inward parts. And literally, when you, when you read through it, spleen, kidney, appendix, Stomach, lungs, heart. It was, a, it was a guttural pull. It wasn't though, hey, I'm sorry, I feel sorry for you. It's wow, aren't they in a bad spot? It, it, when, when, when you have compassion to someone in this kind of phrase, th- th- it moves you. A guttural pull towards her was the compassion that he felt towards her. You can feel that compassion differently than just someone saying something to you. The text doesn't say this. I may be way outside of the bounds here, but I don't know how you would be able to gutturally be compassionate with someone without some kind of touch. Right? I mean, hey, Bill, don't cry. I don't don't think, hey, Bill, don't cry is the same emotions that's being carried in this passage. This guttural pull, could it have included, Bill, don't cry. See, that that means, not more than it just means more, you you, you start feeling, you start feeling this from this person. Feeling is so much different than just giving, passing off that they were polite to you. Jesus wasn't being polite in a tender moment here. That's not his intent. Politeness wasn't going to change anything here. 
I know, I know there's nothing random. I tell you, there's nothing random with, with Christ. So I, you know, so, you know, I don't know if he's, you know, he's walking in that thing, preparing himself for what, what's about to take place. I mean, I think cognitively, maybe there's, there's a knowledge here, but he's still fully human. I mean, I think this is, this is a natural reaction of Christ coming up upon a situation. And he's moved with that for her. I know I use this phrase a lot, double ring, but I think don't cry carries a double ring here. Ring number one, don't cry, I'm here with you. You aren't in this alone. You aren't by yourself. You aren't isolated. I think that's one of the rings of the don't cry. But there's another ring to this don't cry. It's I'm about to do something amazing that's gonna turn this whole situation on the ear. We, We need a God who is equal feeler and fixer. And God is equal feeler and fixer. Now, by nature, I'm a fixer. Just by nature. 16 years of being your pastor, even though you haven't been here 16 years, has turned me into a little bit more of a feeler. But, I, you know, when you just get me when I'm not thinking, I'm a fixer. Nine years as a missions pastor before coming to plant here, that was my role. I was a fixer. It was if there's an issue, there's a problem, there's a need, find it, fix it. Make it happen. I remember we brought all the missionaries home every year and, um, you know, did a big fundraiser and all that kind of stuff and had them meet people. And, but they always did one-on-ones with me in my office. And the purpose of the one-on-ones was to go over their plan for the next year, see, their, uh, see their, how they were going to be organized, see what their goals were, and see where the financing was most needed. But I had a rookie in, and, and I, believe it was, I believe her name was Heather. I believe she was in Cambodia. I'm not real sure if, if that's who it was. But um, she came in, and I said, well, so... You know, what, what, you know, I know you've just been there you know, less than a year. What do you think you need? And she was like, man, my computer, I really need. My computer is just old, personal, it's dying. And I went, okay, hold on. Got to the phone, hit a button, and I called her IT department. I said, Ed, we have any, we have any good laptops laying around down there? Yeah, if we don't, can you, can you get one and get it configured to meet whatever Heather needs? Can you do that for me? All right, I'm going to send her down right after she's done with me, okay? All right, bye. hang up. All right, got the computer. What's next? And she went, is this Disney World? Right? That, was her, that was her response. Because, and then she went through a few other things, and you know, I fixed it. So, so we, have, we have the ability to fix, and th- that becomes this double ring. He feels, there is this feeling component. Because look, if someone just feels for you and they can't fix anything, let's cut this conversation a little short, shall we? You know, thank you for feeling that with me. Um, but listen, same thing. If someone's just a fixer, not a feeler, then you always feel like that you're imposing. Gosh, you're going, I know the last time we got together, I needed, right? And so eventually what happens is you just don't go ask anybody to fix anything because you don't want the only time to come up when you need something fixed. And yet Christ becomes our feeler. He feels for us, but he also has the ability to fix. Listen to Hebrews. This is how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not fail. He did not falter. He was enough. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. 
This passage tells us he's a feeler and a fixer. His position is in heaven. He's in a position of authority. He is our high priest. This is his designation. So a high priest is a go-between. And yet he is, has a comprehensive comprehension of where we are. He has a guttural compassion towards us. And that's what gives us the confidence to be able to go to him in our time of need. But that's not all he does. He comprehends, compassion, but the next section, he adds his life-giving touch. Verse 14. Then he went up and touched her, touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. The, the ultimate uncleanliness um, in the Jewish culture would have been touching a dead body or something a dead body would have touched. And once again, what we find with Christ is he's completely unconcerned about what makes any of us unclean. Because when he touches us, his cleanliness wins out. He is ne- and I'm telling you, I've, I've, had encou- I, I've lived it, but I've had encounters with so many people that feel like that what they've done did or doing somehow disqualifies them from the ability to be touched by God. That somehow our, and, it's, and, and you know, we could live this way and live this way, but somehow you kind of get in some solemn moment and, if, and, and your world stops spinning and you start thinking about how unworthy you are because of some brokenness in your life. And what, what's, what's amazing to me about, the, about the, our, 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 our psyche is it doesn't even have to be our fault. And we can still feel that kind of brokenness and shame. And that for so many people might keep them outside of the touch and grasp of God. At least they think so. But in the physical case here, we get a spiritual case study that there is no uncleanliness that he will not reach out and touch. And there isn't any uncleanliness that he can't make clean. So that means there is, there is no brokenness that he can't make whole. It was a, it was a couple weeks ago, and um, I'm trying to think exactly what I asked it was something, a story, a story. Send me a story of Jesus seeing you. And one person sent me the story. And it came with a picture. It came with a picture of a cross made up of a lot of broken pieces of, of I don't know what it was. It was hard to tell from the picture if it was glass or pottery. or it, it, was, it was a variety of stuff. But there was no doubt that this was a cross made of broken random stuff. And the person shared with me that someone brought that to them on, the, on a day when they had felt the most broken. And they knew in that moment that God saw them. It was a moving story. This woman taking this, her son out the gate this, this day, she, she, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere on her radar screen that her son was going to be given back to her. Nowhere on the radar screen. There... there it very welcome nowhere on your radar screen today that you've walked into church or that you've turned it online that God is going to resurrect something in your life. Now look, I know that there's stuff in our life that needs to die. 
right? Unless some things die, other things can't live. But that's for another day. Today, the whole day has been about just resurrecting something that, or someone that you feel dead in your life or something that has died in your life and you have already written it off as dead or dying. The message today is God's touch and his word redeems. He resurrects, he renews, he revives. Whatever he touches responds to his touch. Whoever he speaks to responds to his voice. It's just not possible for that not to happen. I've spoken to a lot of people in my day that would would quantify my relationship with Christ as a crutch. Um, that it is a, it's something for weak people. And so I've just learned now at my age, I went and thank God for it. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously you're stronger than me, I guess. Um, or maybe I've been hit by one, one more truck than you've been hit by. But I'm sure glad it's here. But listen, raising our hope in Christ isn't a mind over matter exercise. Christianity at its heart is not somehow believing a nicer story or somehow that we, we talk ourselves into our own good mood. Raising our hope as a follower of Christ is resting our hope with Christ and bringing our hope along with where, the position he already is in. Now, now that, that's a strange statement to make, but let me read this passage out of Ephesians and I'll try to qualify it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by, gra- is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Most of the time we live on the back half of that segment. I want to live over here. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now look. I know this, is, this passage in, in, in its overall context is pointing to our eternity in Christ. But it also doesn't miss our present um, um, existence now. All right. So when we put our hope in Christ, we're not putting our hope in someone that's parallel to us. And we're not putting our hope in someone that's below us. All right. So when Christ was, was raised from the dead, it says that he is at the right hand of the Father. So he is in heaven, a place of authority, and he is in a position of authority. Okay? Now this passage says that with salvation that we are raised with him in Christ. Now, it also says, it's interesting, it says he seated. When, when a battle was happening, the king stood. When the battle was over, the king sat. So when he is raised into the heavenly places and he sits down, it's over. He's he's won that. And this passage says that we are seated with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly 
place. Pastor, you're saying that, that all the hardship goes away? No, no. Just, just the matter is this going to be a, a win or a loss goes away. The, the clock ticking, the puck drops, there's, there's still a fight that's going to happen, but the end of it has been determined. So where our hope then should rest is not in what's going on in the moment. Because those moments ebb and flow and change with a phone call. Our hope is not in an outcome. So as if something doesn't turn out the way we think it should turn out, then my hope is dashed. My hope is always in a person. And always in what the person has already accomplished on the cross for us. Because this is where he feels and fixes, guys. He, he felt us. He, he gets us. He feels us. But he touches us. He is not a distant, aloof, hanging around in some mist cloud philosophy or ideology. Here, here, is a, here is a person of Christ, in Christ, that sees, touches, feels fixes. So no matter what, what, what our, our personal experiences in the moment of today, no matter how isolated you feel in the moment today, no matter how, um, there's, there's no comprehension of how anything changes today, you've walked into a place where he is today with a passage that is all about resurrecting dead things. And I, this, this is just, isn't just an exercise in religiosity. This is a belief factor that this happens and it changes and God doesn't do anything random. Come on up, team. Years ago, I taught you that dead things don't stay dead long around Jesus. And I also said that nothing is ever over until he says it's over. Jesus is the most unforgettable person ever because the, really the, 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 the last slide I want to give you is just a reiteration of what I've said, but I, I, I saw it differently um, than even how I wrote it. Just really brief, Jesus sees you, he feels you, and he touches you. He sees you, he gets you, he feels you, and he touches you. And the conclusion that the people came to was God has come to help his people. What a great conclusion. God has come to help his people. God is here to help his people. This is why he came. Luke records a couple chapters earlier, the, the, kind of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he's baptized in front of a crowd. He goes off into the desert wilderness and this is where he does a 40-day fast where he's tempted and, and defeats the enemy in these temptations. And then he walks into the temple out of this. And the way Luke records it, he walks in the temple and he's handed a scroll. It's a scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah is a long book. I think only Jeremiah is longer for words than Isaiah. 66 different chapters. Now, but in, in, that, in that setting, there were no chapter and verse designation that we have in our Bible. That, that's, ad, that's an editorial ad to help us navigate and find. So there's no telling how large the scroll. I mean, unless it was in two parts, like Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 2. You know, that he's, hold, he's handed a very large scroll. And in this scroll, 
he goes to the 61st, what we would recognize as the 61st chapter of that. And, and here, here's what he reads, or here's how Luke records it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. It says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And verse 21 says, he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now I promise you, this is the first time I've seen this in all the years that I've read this passage. Here's how I've always understood the passage. Jesus walks in the temple, they hand him the scroll, he opens up the scroll, he reads it, hands it back, and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. That's how I've always read it. That's not how that reads. Verse 21 said, he began by saying. I mean, so, so this is Jesus calling his shop. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the captive. And he goes through that and then he sits down. And you got to believe everybody was looking at him like you're looking at me. And you know, unless you're really highly competitive, if someone gets in a staring contest with you, you get you cut, you know you cut someone staring at you, you're you're a little uncomfortable, right? And you turn away, right? He didn't turn away. Tina, your eyes lock into Jesus. You're sitting there, girl. That's just what you get. And he doesn't take his eyes off you. Matthew, you've already looked away once because I know you're shy. He didn't look away. There had to be a holy moment in that temple. Him announcing not just who he was, but what he came to do. What kind of brokenness was represented in the temple that day? What kind of loss was represented in the temple that day? Who walked in thinking no one knew what they walked in with that day? Boy, but when they had... Jesus say this is who I am and this is what I've come to do down deep somewhere someone was saying do it for me do it for me I believe do it for me do it for me and he's here to do it for you God has come to help his people he feels he has a distinct understanding and there isn't any part of your life that he will not touch there isn't anything or any person in your life he can't resurrect that's the moment we're in right now that's the moment we're in right now will you lock your eyes on him Will you lock your eyes on him? Especially during Mother's Day, I think about, 
I think about the, the prayers of moms, grandmas, aunts, uncles. I, I think about that kind of prayer for, for their kids. To come back around. And I want us to pray that way today. You might be the prodigal. You may be the parent calling for a prodigal. There there may be some relationship dead in your life that God wants to resurrect today. There might be some broken something in your life that God wants to resurrect today. And let me do this real quick. If, If you were once a prodigal and now you're home, I want you to raise your hand. You were once a prodigal. Why don't you see him here? But because the first service was crazy how many hands were up. All right? Now put your hand down. You are praying for a prodigal. Raise your hand. So the raised hands at first is what gives you hope for your raised hands now. And whatever lies you've heard in your head that they're, they're too far. There's just been too much. They're not, it's not true. It's not true. And whether it, whether it starts today or continues today or ends today, we're going to pray for that to happen. And so here in a, very, in a very comprehensive way, if there's someone or something dead in your life or broken and you want it resurrected, I want you to stand up. Something dead or someone dead in your life and you need him, him her, it resurrected in your life today. There you go. So here's where I say that that we come together to lend faith and borrow faith. So those of you that aren't standing around the people standing, when we go to sing this song, you, if they'll let you, touch them. Put your hand on their shoulder and pray life, the life of Christ into this situation. You don't have to have the comprehension. They don't need to give you the the, the, the 911, the 4 what's that's, that's wrong one, but that's probably why you're standing. But the 411, right, on all the stuff that's going on because God has the comprehensive, comprehensive knowledge. We're called to rally around one another in prayer, and that's what we're going to do now. So, Father, you have intimate knowledge of everyone in the room. You have intimate knowledge of those watching online. You have intimate knowledge of the people who would turn this on a month from now. And you want to resurrect something in their life. You want to resurrect them. And in our moment now, Lord, I pray that you would do that through the prayers and the belief of your saints, praying prayers of faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.